Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Who said we didn't like stress? This week on Pod Like a Raven. It was me. It was I last week who was happy not having to deal with the three-hour Sunday stress for a week. And we got it right back the next week. But it ended up as a positive. It ends up as a Ravens victory, a game that the Ravens have lost before so many different ways. This week, they're, they're, they're able to, to pick up the win in overtime and continue uh, on a quest for, for the top seed in the AFC and, and hopefully a deep run into the postseason. I am Antonio Barbera. I'm excited to talk Ravens football this week. Let me bring in my co-host, Tim Horsey. Tim, it was up, it was down, it was scary, it was fun, it was sad. But in the end, an overtime victory for the Baltimore Ravens. How are you feeling this Monday? Uh, Way better than I was in the moment, for sure. Um, Man, maybe it was just the type of game it was. Maybe it was having almost a month where you didn't have that 1 p.m. game. You know what I mean? Like that that being kind of back in that rhythm and not really being familiar with it. I was was a man with my ass on fire this entire game for whatever reason. And, and, you know, maybe it's just because – I'm not super happy about this team, even though they are the one seed as of right now, which is crazy as we record. But, uh, yeah, look, it's a win. It's a different way to win. I'm excited to talk about it with you guys. But, yeah, feeling way better right now than I was in the moment. And, Jace Evans, how you doing uh, as we record here? I'm doing great. It was, you know, most exciting game of the season, certainly. Uh, One of the most exciting finishes we've ever seen uh, in Ravens history. So that was, you know... I was elated for that. That was really exciting. Uh, on the whole, yeah, a bizarre game. Definitely the most eventful game that the Ravens actually won, I would say. You know, games against the Browns, against the Steelers. You'd call those eventful and weird, but it didn't have a happy outcome. But this one did. So that was, I think, is going to make it more interesting to talk about. But yeah, I in, in similar ways, though, I was kind of... In a similar boat as Tim, uh, I, I definitely said aloud to my parents who I was watching the game with, uh, to my dad specifically, I, I kind of said, I, I just want this game to be over. I don't I don't really even care who wins at some point. This is just too much to take. I just just sim to Bill's, uh, you know, Bill's uh, Chiefs. Uh, but no, it was obviously it ended in, in great fashion and exciting fashion. And as Tim just mentioned, you know, uh, given events that happen elsewhere, it's a win that puts the Ravens in the driver's seat for the number one seed. So that's exciting too. And so, 
Yeah, certainly imperfect, which we'll touch on. Uh, felt like they were going to lose the game most of the game, truthfully. Uh, but in the end, they kind of pull uh, pull it off, which is you know so so unlike anything else we've kind of seen to this point of the season, and at least in a game like this. In a season of, of frustrating losses and even disappointing wins, we had a very nice. Uh, like bow tied to how this one kind of started in the middle and the ending of it. We have Tylen Wallace, who is essentially a fringe, one of the last players to make this roster. Uh, the last wide receiver basically ends up beating out James Prochet uh, because of his special teams abilities. On special teams, Tylen Wallace is the one responsible for being offside on the on the Rams punt when it was fourth and fourth and two, fourth and three. Uh, in the first half, Rams get the ball back. Of course, obviously score a touchdown uh, on that drive after that gift. Devin Duvernay is injured. Tylen Wallace has to then go return punts, which he has not done uh, for the Ravens at any point. He has the first one that, that is punted toward him. He calls a fair catch, uh, and I think he was disappointed by it. He had a lot of space in front of him. Okay, you know, your classic uh, mistake as a first punt return of of your career on the second one I actually said just catch the ball that was my (laughs) I said that out loud because I was so nervous after having watched the Rams muff not one but two punts uh, at some point in this game I said just catch it just catch it and we'll go from there and no he catches it he evades one tackler he breaks another tackle he runs down the sidelines and it is him Tylen Wallace with the game winning punt return touchdown in overtime to send the fans home crazy which they deserved after sitting out in that rain the raven players the raven coaches all lose their minds and run down into the corner it could be it could be a very seminal moment for this team that has lost football games in every way possible over the last few seasons when they were in the driver's seat this time no just like we talked about against the chargers they fix things they make just enough plays on offense defense special teams to come out with the win Am I overhyping this, fellas? Am I am I getting too far ahead of myself, or is this the type of game that you look, you know, months later and you say, "Wow, that play, that finish, that Lamar performance," which we will get into in a moment here, that was a catalyst, or that was yet more evidence for this team to prove that they're not chokers, that they can finish games, or is it just let's settle down, Antonio? Uh, as usual, you're getting way too uh, excited about one game here. Yeah, let's settle down, Antonio. There were still sloppy <laughs> mistakes. There's still your coach throwing a challenge on a play that literally you cannot challenge for no reason whatsoever. I don't care what the excuse is. There's, there's your best players coming up empty in Marlon Humphrey. There's bad, bad football all over the place. The one reason to be optimistic about this team is not this team. It is all the other teams in the AFC. Um, and great they won it on a backup punter making you know making amends for a play that you know after screwing up uh, on the offsides as you mentioned there before but i don't know this is why you and i are two sides of, of you know a coin here your heads i'm tails all of the time and no i don't think so because i still think great you had to struggle against the rams team that you're clearly better than and look those guys get paid too and every game is tough and what have you but no, I, I see this as a you got out by the skin of your teeth and it's fun to celebrate and it's great that 
Harbaugh screaming in the camera afterwards. <laughs> what a gritty win. Um, you got the San Francisco 49ers. You got the Miami Dolphins. You got the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Pittsburgh Steelers, who I, I know the record. They're still the Pittsburgh Steelers, still left on your schedule. You play like this against any of those teams, it ain't going to be a gritty win. It's going to be a disheartening, embarrassing loss. And uh, things have to be cleaned up. And, yeah, I'm not taking any – the only positive, the only minor positive I'm taking from this over in, in, in a general sense before we break down the minutia of the game is great. You, you didn't completely blow it. You only sort of <laughs> blew it and then escaped with a victory. And that's all I can see. I, I think I kind of split the middle between you guys because I, I do think on the one hand, like, I'm not really sure if this game changed my overall thoughts. I, I'm kind of with Tim, at least in terms of my thoughts of can this team win the Super Bowl? I think they're still probably too sloppy and inconsistent to do that. And we saw plenty of that in this game. But kind of like, I guess the other side of the coin is sort of what you mentioned, Tim. It's this, like that can be said, I think, for every team in the AFC this year. The AFC is just a kind of sloppy and inconsistent conference with, you know, 11 teams that are above 500. So it's deep, but no one's like great. There's no great team. We are currently the best team in the AFC, and we're about to talk about all the problems uh, but um, I, that they have. But But I do think like, it's because of those other teams, and I think, to Antonio, your point, I do think a game like this can be galvanizing. At least it shows, like, we can win. It's not just another loss where they blow it at the very end of the game and then blow it in overtime, and you're sitting here 0-2 in overtime, right, this season, and, you, you, like, basically you've, you've blown you have four losses and all of them should have been wins. Like you could be saying we should be undefeated. Uh, at least they avoided that. And I think like in a year where you have that kind of sort of parody, that's something to fall back on. I think as we, we approach uh, or move towards the playoffs. And I think like that kind of goes hand in hand with kind of the other, and I think maybe we could just jump into him here, but the other most important, the point is, the Ravens have one of like the five best quarterbacks in the league and Lamar Jackson, as long as he is upright, gives them a chance, I think. Certainly he was not perfect in this game, which we'll get into, but I think that's where I'm also optimistic is like just him coming through in a big moment uh, at the end of the game, which is something we hadn't, you know, it happens from time to time. I think we probably, myself included, have been a little dismissive of some of Lamar's various comeback wins and last second victories and stuff, but this felt like one of his best kind of I'm taking this game over games in quite a while yeah we're, we're gonna break down the good and the lot of bads plural there um but I I guess my the optimism here is not that it was a perfect game but that this team has examples to to kind of bank that they can overcome these sloppy mistakes. They don't have to fold like a chair uh, <laughs> late in games, that they have players who can make plays uh, on all three different phases. I hope you, know, you would like that to impact them when you get to games at the end of the month uh, and in, into January. That can only be proven with time. Um, <laughs> let's talk about Lamar's performance here. He, he was not perfect by any means. A lot of incompletions. The deep balls are becoming more and more of an issue. But in a game where the running game was not there for very long stretches, Keaton Mitchell has one nice run. Uh, I think I think he's got like a 27-yard run 
and then every other carry he has totals the same amount as that one run. So he didn't have it. Gus Edwards was did even less. Um, Justice Hill did not get a carry in this game. So it was all really in Lamar Jackson's hands. And he made play after play in the air and with his legs to generate points, to get touchdowns, to get scoring drives. I want to talk. I'm going to jump ahead to the fourth quarter uh, drive that he has, and then we can kind of go backwards from there. But the drive is when they are down. Uh, I want to get the exact score here. It's 28-23 Rams, uh, and the Ravens go on a 13-play, 75-yard drive that is pretty much all either in the air or Lamar Jackson running. Uh, culminating in a third and 17 touchdown pass to Zay Flowers, which was an amazing play. It just is an amazing play. The design has Nelson Aguilar in the slot, dragging the safety with him to the sideline, and that leaves the little hole right behind the safety and for Flowers to run in behind. But Lamar has to throw that ball essentially right at where the safety is standing and then trust that the design will work. I welcome you to go to YouTube to get the All-22 out, get the replay, and watch the ball ends up exactly where the safety is standing once from where Lamar, re- from when Lamar releases the ball. He wouldn't have even tried that throw three years ago, and I'm pretty sure he would not have succeeded with it two years ago. These are the steps. This is the growth that you want your $50 million quarterback, franchise quarterback, to make. To make. The play after that is the two-point conversion, which is maybe even better than the touchdown throw. Lamar Jackson rolls, avoids a free rusher, delays just enough, and fires a perfect throw to Zay Flowers with another rusher diving at his legs. I think, I think on that play, the design was like a pick play, a rub, to release Isaiah Likely in the flat, but the pick doesn't work. Likely is covered. And if he catches it, I'm pretty sure he's just going to get stonewalled at the two-yard line. Lamar recognizes it, delays just long enough to let Zay Flowers' route develop and then hits him while a guy is diving at his knees. These are the plays of a franchise quarterback where if you've had a mediocre game until then, when the chips are down, you get, you say, give me the ball, we're going to go down the field and we're going to score. It was an unbelievable... Obviously, it's important to get up, to take the lead. The two-point conversion makes it a three-point game, which is maybe the most important thing because we all knew what was going to happen immediately <laughs> after that. It was overall, it's a good game by Lamar Jackson, but in the most important moments, it was a great game by him. And this is what this team will need uh, as we get into into postseason football. So I'm thrilled, thrilled that we're seeing this in December from Lamar Jackson. And I think for me, Antonio, the, the thing that was so sensational about this, this the third and 17 throw especially, but the two-point conversion too, was I just, I'd hit a dark moment in the immediate minutes and seconds before... Uh, sort of this play because on second down, why it is third and 17 is Lamar gets sacked for only the second time in the game. And in doing so, he tries to throw the ball away in a very scary uh, way that forces this prolonged review that you're like, I don't know. I don't, tr- uh, we talked about NFL refs a lot. I don't trust them. I was like, they could easily rule this a fumble. And then we're just mad and everyone's bad and everything's bad. Uh, and it really, in some ways, got, I was having the internal conversation with myself of just the thought of, can this guy get to the Super Bowl? Like, I don't know. It just came, it came flooding to me in that moment. And then third and 17, just boom, steps up, just magnificent throw, as you said. Like you said, uh, apparently Nelson Aguilar was the guy who thought 
that this kind of play design would work that the safety would pull to him and that's exactly what happened uh it was it was fantastic and then yeah the needed two point it was just such a big uh play and like to see lamar like take over in winning time because yeah it was like a weird it was amazing performance i thought from him and simultaneously bizarre like really scattershot kind of game 24 for 43 you mentioned the the deep passes I, I don't remember lamar attempting that many deep passes in a game they were just bombing like all game and they hit a few of them obviously in the first half to play to beckham uh, likely was just the Rams not covering him. But those plays kept them afloat in the first half because otherwise I thought the Ravens did nothing in the first half. You know, Lamar throws an awful interception on another deep pass attempt on literally the first play after a Rams touchdown. That was a moment of uh-oh for me, but they kind of, you know, pull out of that. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't great, I think, on the whole all day. But in the most important moments, he stepped up. And, uh, you know, I think... It, Harbaugh certainly had high praise for him. He he said that Lamar played, quote, one of the best quarterback games you can play all in all, which, you know, I don't know that he's just tossing that out all the time. It's kind of a Harbaughism in some ways, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I thought he was just, I was just so impressed with that, that, that final whole drive, that whole final drive. Cause you know, he has that incredible scramble, which was one of those other plays. That's just the Lamar experience of this point of him holding the ball way, way too long. Everyone's screaming for him to throw it. And then he rushes for like 10, 10 to 15 yards. Uh, I, I thought he was great to close the game uh, when he needed to be at his best. And obviously I think they wouldn't have won without him, but yeah, on the whole game, weird, bizarre, strange, but yeah, I thought he was great late. I'm glad you amended that because you started midway through that with amazing, and I'm just like <laughs> baffled. I thought it was, outside of the, the end, I thought it was a poor performance from Lamar Jackson. Um, and again, this is overly critical maybe. Maybe I'm just completely you know sleep deprived from covering MLS Cup Final coming into this game already a little tweaked, and this happens whatever the hell happened on that field on Sunday in all the conditions and everything. And maybe I'm taking the, the very harsh approach to that. And you could tell me that. And frankly, you'd probably be right. And that's fine. But I'll agree. I, I agree. The throws, the third and 17, the two point conversion are incredible. Um, the two deep plays in the first half, which was the only offense that they had. Um, yes. Wide open, but you still got to make those plays. And he did. Uh, Odell running the wrong route and still shaking the hell out of that corner, I think was awesome. He admitted la later in the game that he, or after the game, excuse me, that he ran the wrong route. Um, it looked good to us, so that's fine. Um, but yeah, I thought Lamar was streaky at best. You know, Antonio's like, good to see him making plays late in December. It's good to see him in December in general. Um, but the holding on to the football when, look, we're not watching the All 22, we don't see everything he's looking at but i can tell you if you're holding the ball for seven to ten seconds in 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 the backfield somebody's open like somebody's open and you're just not seeing them i'm, I'm not giving lamar the benefit of the doubt there and if you don't see him at that that quickly you need to get out of the pocket sooner like jay said um there was just some of those times i thought were really really frustrating but but for me, the more frustrating part of it, outside of Lamar Jackson, and maybe poor was a little bit too harsh. I thought he was fine. I don't think it was one of his best performances whatsoever. He stepped up in the big moment. That is very nice to see, and we have seen that from him. And with the the storyline of this season being the Ravens or Chokers, maybe it, it, there's a little bit more weight on a 
late game heroic performance like he had and and all that's great. I'm a little bit worried about the oh my god, the run game isn't working, let's completely bail on the run game from Todd Munkin. That it I missed admittedly, I missed the first drive because um, I was I was flying back from Columbus. I got in when the Rams were starting uh, started with the ball with like 11 minutes uh, in in the first quarter. I asked the two guys here you know, hey, what happened? Did I miss anything? And they both said, yeah, the run game isn't really working. They punted. And that was one drive. And then the next drive, it was all passing plays. And it felt like they just completely abandoned it, even though it was okay. It, it wasn't stellar by any stretch of the imagination. But they the team ran the ball 26 times to Lamar's 43 uh, pass attempts in a tight game overall. It wasn't like they were down 10 or down 17 late. And 11 of those rushes were Lamar Jackson scrambles, or some of them might have been design runs, but 11 rushes for Lamar Jackson. Say, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but say at, at the very least, seven of those were just scrambles after sitting in the pocket for 15 seconds. That's concerning to me. Like, I, I, I'm sorry. I know that there's weapons there. I know Lamar Jackson is the heartbeat of this offense and the heartbeat of this team. And they will go as far as he takes them and all of that is fine but you have to be able to old man yells at cloud establish the run game here against a defense that frankly is matt stafford and a bunch of dudes uh, or excuse me other side of the ball we'll talk about him in a second <laughs> he is awesome aaron donald also awesome and a bunch of dudes um i just i was really frustrated by how it was just kind of seemed like all right we're just gonna let lamar kind of do his own thing and pass the ball around and play a little bit of backyard football, not rely on the run game at all. Even when Keaton Mitchell, you know, Keaton Mitchell averaged six yards a carry. And I know some of that came on that 27 yard scramble. Gus Edwards, 2.5 yards per carry, but, but a hammer late in a game when it's still tight is, is beneficial for you. And I just thought, I don't know, man, it it makes me nervous because when you're you can't get jittery like that against really good teams in really really big situations in January, and this this offensive performance really outside of the incredible fourth quarter and outside of the stepping up which you guys talked about it didn't inspire a lot of confidence. I don't know. I I think they tried to sprinkle in runs on occasion and they were literally outside of one run by keaton mitchell i think every other run was like three yards or less or four yards or less it was just cloud of dust situation on a lot of those plays and i think it might have been i mean part of it is that they were trailing at times and i understand that's not a reason to panic but um i think part of it is matchup related i would wonder if like on a pass play you can literally say these two guys or three are going to block Aaron Donald and we're going to figure out the rest. Whereas on a run, it's more about like how the play is designed and they just were getting just crushed inside often. Um, so I think they tried to mix it in with as much, as much as they could given the, the lack of success. And then the other thing is the last drive where they are, you know, it's essentially two minute drill. I mean, there's four minutes when the drive starts, but it's basically two minute drill. It's 13 plays. I think there might be 10 pass plays in that one drive alone. So I, I think that the numbers would be a little more balanced. Like that would make it 33 passing attempts for Lamar Jackson as opposed to 43, except for the last drive where they're 
down a touchdown essentially. So I think it's a, was a little bit more as balanced as it could be based on just how unsuccessful the run plays were. Um, the holding the ball stuff, I agree with. That, that was another thing where I think the Rams just did. They were like rushing three a lot. And then their like big design scheme play that I would say worked zero times out of ten. They would rush three and then have somebody do like a delayed rush off the end. But it was like a linebacker. It was obvious who it was going to be. And it was always into Ronnie Stanley over and over and over again. That didn't really work. Um so I think you did get a lot of Lamar just sitting and waiting and waiting and waiting, but there's eight guys in, in coverage, so a lot of double teams and not a lot of windows and not a lot of space. But, uh, yeah, I, I would not go as far to say poor. I would say inconsistent. I would say the deep balls are definitely an issue. Oh, and I'll use that as a perfect segue here because it leads into Rashad Bateman, who I, I, I'll admit I texted the word <laughs> unplayable at some point in this game. He's probably not unplayable, but you know what's frustrating? If I were a coach watching the tape, he just quits on half of the routes that he's running, and the ball is thrown to him a quarter of those half of those routes. You, this is This is rookie stuff. This is college football stuff. I get it. You're probably frustrated that they're not throwing the ball to you 10 times a game. You have to run each route as if the ball may be thrown to you. This happened twice in this game. He slowed up on a deep pass that ends up going incomplete. Guess what? It was an overthrow after he sees it and adjusts to it. And on the interception, I maintain it's because he's not really paying attention and he doesn't adjust to the ball and try to high point it. He's like, oh, here it is. I guess I'll just like try to get under it and catch it like a punt and it gets intercepted and he's not able to break up the play. He's a frustrating player. Uh, and it's, I can just see it in the postseason. I can see him quitting on a route and it's intercepted and it ends up turning the game around. Yep. Everybody else is playing great. Aguilar is doing his bit. Beckham is getting better and better uh, by the week. And Flowers is like a true number one. It's this Bateman stuff that is bothering me to no end, and it's like the little easy stuff, and he has done this all season. There are other games where he's done this for multiple plays in a game, and it's easy stuff. It's effort stuff, and it's driving me insane. Well, and I think with him, it's what's so frustrating, and I think I've talked about this, but like we, I feel like we saw it for those, like those first five weeks of last season. He seemed so good, and we were like, we've finally done it, and then it's just... It's just gone. That guy just doesn't seem... He seems like a completely different player to me. I, I'm i with you. I mean, I was so impressed. I thought this was easily Beckham's best game with the Ravens. Obviously, he has a touchdown. Uh, and, and But, like, just even on that final drive, like, going down to, like, scoop that ball up uh, for Beckham when was not... Well, you know, a okay placed ball for Lamar. He kept it out of harm's way, but not, like, perfect placement by any means. But he goes down, he makes a play for his quarterback. And then, yeah, Flowers... I don't want... I don't want to get too excited because of all the things I literally just said about Rashad Bateman when I also thought he was the guy of probably like this time last year. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, he's a, just a sensational player. I mean, even on that final drive, just, you know, standing up to, to get those few extra yards and a first down after he catches like a seven or eight yard pass uh, and no one touches him. Like he's just really heads up and just the speed and it, it's encouraging. I, I'm encouraged by a Ravens wide receiver draft pick. Again, don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but uh, I was so excited. I think um, just to touch on, I guess if I have any 
negative offensive things. I guess we should also just say uh, they were rotating the tackles at various points throughout the game for reasons that still aren't quite clear. They wanted to keep Moses and Stanley fresh, I guess, is what Harbaugh mentioned. But I don't, I'm not a fan of that. I think you lines work best when you have your five guys, but whatever. I'm not an offensive line coach. But the only real, you know, I, I agree with Tim with you on all like the inconsistency and stuff, and it wasn't perfect. But I think what actually hurt hurt me the most or left me feeling the most, not distraught about the offense, but just kind of a letdown was uh, just not doing anything in overtime. You get the ball first after you, you hit on third and 17, you get this two point, you know, stadium's rocking. Obviously the defense blows it and then you get, but you get the ball first in overtime and you're like, okay, that stunk, but killer instinct time. We go down, we get a touchdown. We end this game just like they did against the Colts on Monday night football a few years ago. Uh, and instead they immediately went three and out. <laughs> that was, that was kind of, I think the thing that actually left me with the most bad taste in my mouth. Cause uh, I was like, wow, they're rolling. They're going to end this game. This is how we do it. And then you just immediately go three and out and you leave the door open for the Rams um, that luckily they didn't walk through, but yeah, that, that, that one left me just kind of with scratching my head a little bit. Yeah. I mean, you guys nailed that. Um, so no need to belabor the point. I'll turn to another receiver, Odell Beckham Jr. Man. Dude made some plays. Like we talked about the touchdown earlier, but there was a couple there was a couple catches. There's the one on the sideline, and there's one across the middle of the field. And I apologize, I can't remember exactly when it happened in the game, but I remember thinking Lamar throws it low. Odell has to go down and basically scoop it up off the turf and make the catch. And I I looked at you know, I just I was looking at it and, and thought to myself, Ravens haven't had many receivers that make that grab. <laughs> you know, it seems simple, but it's kind of the reason that a lot of these teams are investing in your playmaking wide receiver. Why the Eagles traded for an A.J. Brown. Why the Dolphins traded for a Tyreek Hill. They can make the play that you don't. the quarterback doesn't need to be pinpoint accurate or perfect. And Odell Beckham Jr. is making those plays for Lamar Jackson. And that's going to come up huge late. you know. And I feel like I've been over, overwhelmingly negative in a win here. So I do want to try and be a little <laughs> bit more positive. I thought... I thought his performance was really, really impressive for what he did. Um, and, you know, against an old team, I think that the story's coming out uh, post or pregame, excuse me, of him saying, you know, Sean McVay, Matt Stafford, and Cooper Cup kind of helped him find his love of the game again. He was in a really bad place. That's what happens when you go to Cleveland. Um, sorry, Joe. It's going to come crashing down at some point. We'll get to it in a bit. Um, but but I, I think – that veteran presence, he also kind of had a had a quote post-game of, like, telling guys like Zay and Tylen Wallace, like, hey, you've made some mistakes. Don't worry. Keep fighting. You're going to make the plays late. And obviously those guys did that. Hindsight bias, what have you, if you really want to be like me and be critical most of the time. But um, I thought Odell Beckham Jr. with a really professional performance and a guy that is really going to help make those tough catches because he's a veteran, because he knows that you have to be available and open and willing to make the play on every single play, Rashad Bateman. And yeah, it's really nice to see Odell kind of coming into his own as, look, we said this from the beginning on this podcast, Odell Beckham Jr. wasn't going to be Odell Beckham Jr. on this team. Yeah, the $15 million was to get him to Baltimore. It wasn't because we thought he was going to be wide receiver number one. But he started to make those secondary supplemental plays that this team needs, especially with no Mark Andrews. And um, yeah, very encouraged by what he did on Sunday. 
offensively, overall. Out of sorts, rusty off the bye, sloppy at times, did turn the ball over, scored 31 points in the pouring rain, in regulation, defensively, uh, coming off the bye. They gave up 31 points uh, on their side of the ball, in regulation. There are some things to discuss defensively. I'm going to rotate the order here, so I'm going to start with Tim. Tim, baby, uh, they struggled defending the run. They struggled. We, to, we, to be fair, we did talk about this. We said, how are they gonna? Are they gonna fix the run stuff? Are they gonna be able to stick to these small, speedy receivers that the Rams have? They did neither. Uh, and really, I think they're the best thing this defense did was get a a three and out um, in overtime. That was maybe the only thing they did. And that was where there was at least one drop uh, on that <laughs> on that drive that significantly helped things. What do we? I mean, what do we do here? Our guy, you, you know, go, go backwards or go forwards as you wish uh, defensively. But what what did you see, and and how can they try to figure things out here? I don't I don't know, man. Like, I, they got punched in the mouth in this game. You know, especially early. Kyron Williams, great running back, great story. Sean McVay. Incredible play caller, obviously one of the best in the league. Is and Matt Stafford having a resurgent year, kind of when everybody thought you know it might be over for him after just another injury that he had to suffer. But they, they embarrassed the Ravens defense, and this is the run defense is a concern. You know, the, this is where some team, all some team needs to do is go up seven with four minutes left, and they can almost run out the clock on this defense, which is something you wouldn't have wouldn't have said two, three weeks ago. Like, look, I made fun of the Cleveland Browns defense a lot even when they were the quote-unquote historically great. I got to take those words back now because the Ravens defense is starting to be embarrassed too. You know, I don't I don't know if it's a they're really trying to get after the passer so they're leaving run lanes open thing. I don't know if it's a a scheme thing where Mike McDonald is being figured out a little bit. I don't, I, I don't know what I don't know what it is, but man – it's got to be cleaned up, um, especially in that run game. Look, the receiver thing, Cooper Cup is great. Puka Nakua is great. The catch was great. My man, you got talked about for the first four weeks of the season because you were a fifth-round pick that nobody knew about. In three years, nobody's going to know about you either. Stop trying to call for pass interferences like you're some Randy Moss, Jerry Rice Hall of Fame vet. That dude, I mean, talk about mm. – Never mind. I'm not going to go too far. It just it was ridiculous to me that this guy was already acting like the talk of the town because he's lived in L.A. for like six months and thinks he's hot. Feces. Um, I just. Oh, a lot of that frustration, though, it, it comes from the, the piss poor performance from the defense. You talk about big players not stepping up in moments. Marlon Humphrey has a chance to redeem an awful play and should have picked the ball off when you're getting paid $98 million to be the top corner. And on Tuesday, we're going to see Instagram stories of him at Tagliata with four randos. Like, I'm not looking forward to that after him completely screwing up, almost screwing up a victory for the Baltimore Ravens. It just, I, I don't know. This is a long way of me saying I'm very frustrated and I have no answers because I'm a fan and I'm not that smart when it comes to this stuff. It just, this was the unit I said on this podcast multiple times, this was the unit that was supposed to be the safety blanket, be the unit that was always going to be there, be the, oh man, Lamar is uh, 
having a tough game. They're not being able to run the ball. Okay, hold the other team to 10 points. We'll be fine, boys. Roquan Smith firing the guys up. Dude can still hit like a like a like an anvil. He had a couple that was Ray Lewis esque of leveling a guy coming across the formation and absolutely destroying some dudes. But a lot of those were late as well. Um, I thought. You know, it, it, you look at the run game, too, I think a, another thing, like you saw Patrick Queen shoot the gap a couple of times and people know that that's coming and just kind of sidestep out of the way. And I, I'm not even just fully blaming Patrick Queen on that. I think some of it might be scheme. But overall, yeah, I'm I'm no longer super excited when the defense comes out on the field, which is crazy for me. As, so, as If you listen to this podcast, you know, that's what I want to see. Uh Three weeks to a month ago, I'm sitting here saying I that's the unit I like to watch even more than the offense and Lamar Jackson, which is saying something because Lamar Jackson is electric with the ball in his hands, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. And I am now super worried about this unit going against, again, let's think about it. Before we even hit the playoffs, the Miami Dolphins and the San Francisco 49ers are still on this schedule. Two of the best offenses both passing the ball and running the ball and execution, like execution to a T is what both of those teams do. And this defense is not going to be able to keep up with either of them if they keep playing the way they are. So yeah, definitely concerned. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm in a similar boat. I, obviously, you know, I feel like the casual fans, if you're out there and maybe listening to this, you, you see us talking about a defense that's ranked second in points and yards of the NFL. Uh, and complaining about it, but I'm with Tim. It's not been special the last several weeks, really. And I think even going back to that Chargers game, I think that's been devalued from what the Chargers have become, which is a team that scored six points against the New England Patriots the next week and seven points against the Denver Broncos on Sunday. So they scored 10 against us. So that's, was that impressive anymore? It doesn't seem like it if the Chargers can't score more than a touchdown every week. So I don't know. I'm kind of there with you. I I do think they stepped up in a few key moments. Antonio, you mentioned uh, forcing that that three and out in overtime was huge because I was, after we went three and out, I was like, uh, we're going to have all that just to to lose on a long kick from the kicker they want to cut. But, uh, you know, it it ended up working out. They stopped them. But I thought they did play pretty well to start the second half. You know, they forced four straight punts, but then – you know, up 23-22, it's winning time for the Ravens, and they give up a touchdown, and then they give up a field goal to end the game. And the Marlin play, I mean, it plays. He falls down. Uh, that allows a Demarcus Robinson catch, and then he just – he's – clearly just hilariously beat by Cooper Cup. He's like almost windmilling his arms to try to like catch up to him. He got beat so bad. And then, but yeah, you mentioned he had a chance to redeem himself. I, my dad and I thought he picked that ball off. We were standing and high-fiving at everything. We were like, yeah, great play. And then you see it's incomplete. And at first I thought, oh, he fell out of bounds, but no, he just didn't make the play. And yeah, that, that whole sequence just, for that place was rocking. They're doing the Ravens chant during play. Uh, and then it's like in three plays, the the Rams are in field goal position. It was just it's too classic and upsetting. Uh, but the only other, I guess, concern I have with the defense on the whole, and we've talked about this, but this was the most obvious game to me that – Marcus Williams doesn't want to tackle anyone. Uh, <laughs> and there's just a few a few instances that stood out. In particular, uh, the play where Arthur Millette um, kind of whiffed uh, on a tackle of Cooper Cup. And then uh, 
Marcus Williams escorted him down the sideline an extra three or four yards before he finally made the tackle. And by making the tackle, he just kind of held on to him until other people came to make the tackle. Uh, that stood out to me. And, and Tim, you mentioned Earl Thomas. I had shades of it, of him escorting yeah. Derrick Henry down the sideline. It's a bad look. I get what's happening. It's frustrating. We've talked about that. But I don't know. That just stood out to me. And, and part of me wonders if it's like, is that the problem with the run defense? Is that what are your starting safeties cannot make a tackle in the NFL currently? No, like, no, it's not because it's not because that guy's getting to the second level way too consistently. Yeah. Like yeah. Roquan and Patrick Queen and Matabike and Travis Jones and Michael Pierce and all these guys are they were clogging lanes earlier. And guess what? Lanes ain't being clogged anymore. You know, <laughs> and, and it's it's against multiple different types of teams, different levels of run game, and again. They haven't seen the two teams that are the best at executing these run plays, and they're both coming up. They're both coming up. Raheem Mostert and Devon A-Chain are going to average like 70 yards a carry against this defense the way they're playing now. I was going to say 17, and then I went way too hyperbolic. So let's knock it down to like eight. But that's, that's You pulled still the box with... score of the Denver game for that one. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, I had the wrong one pulled up. And and Christian McCaffrey is going to go nuclear if they can't find a way to fix this stuff. Yeah, Marcus Williams can't tackle, and I think a lot of that's injury, and I think a lot of it is he's still playing even though he's banged up because guess what? Geno Stone isn't the guy who was leading the league in picks. Like, a lot of those were gimmies, and we were having fun with it, but, like, let's, you know, let's call a spade a spade here. So he's playing because of a talent deficiency on the back end. But, yeah, I, I, I agree there's an issue there. I don't think it's him, though. It's the problem for the run defense. Yeah, and, and I guess just on the run defense, that is my number one concern as well. And and I God, thought the, the, the Rams got too cute, I think, in this game, and it's especially early because they come out, and you mentioned they punched them in the mouth. They ran every single time until they set up a first to goal and then throw three straight passes. It was just McVay overthinking things. I truly think if they ran the ball more this whole game, they probably win because I thought Stafford was great. I think Stafford is great. And we talked about like, he was probably the best quarterback they've faced all season, at least to this point. And I thought he proved that, you know, we talked, he put up 31. I thought he was really good, but you know, his incompletion completion percentage line, very pretty much almost nearly identical to Lamar's. Uh, they had very similar lines in this game. Uh, and so, you know, I thought he was good, but I do think if they just ran the ball even more, I, I don't know that the Rams would have lost this game. So, yeah, I, I thought McVay just kind of overthought things on that side a little bit. You have these last two drives for the Rams in regulation. They go seven plays, 57 yards, kick a field goal. Uh, or that's the, that's the last one. And then the one before that is eight plays, 85 yards, and they score a touchdown. And it just looks on the field, oh, my gosh, this Ravens defense is gassed, and they're not going to – get a stop for as long as this game goes into overtime but they're coming off the bye they're supposed to be fresh <laughs> and healthy and rejuvenated what's why how can this be happening uh, so i don't even think that's a reasonable excuse i think they're just getting beat uh with scheme and the talent that the rams had boy tim mentioned it we got some fun tests you know it, it's almost a good <laughs> In a sick way, it's a good thing to have these two games in the regular season because you're going to figure some things out uh, one way or the other before we get to the pl playoffs about what this team can do and what they need to fix because, yeah, this is not going to cut it uh, against those two against those two opponents. It's a, fr a frustrating performance overall, certainly from the defense. They get just enough uh, in this game in overtime. They get the one stop to get the ball back. 
and that's kind of what I'm like wrapping things up with here in tangibles wise. The offense made just enough plays to score late. They made the they just get the two point conversion to make it a field goal game. Special teams, uh, they get the great play at the end of the game. They had some struggles before that. Duvernay <laughs> takes the opening kickoff seven eight yards deep in the end zone. I'm not sure why he's doing that. Um, I get it. You know, Jacoby Jones did it sometimes, and it proved effective. But with these new kickoff rules, the ball's also being kicked five yards closer to you, which means that the guys returning on, or on the on the coverage team, they're five yards closer to you. So maybe just take a knee when you know when you're more than a yard or two in the end zone. The lining up offsides. This isn't like he jumped off lining up offsides on fourth and less than five on a punt is inexcusable. That's a disaster. The special teams coach is that Horton? I think that's Chris Horton. He's doing the like post game speech with the game ball and, all, and it's a good idea, you know. It's a positive thing and the confidence of that last play. Special teams has been terrible for large stretches of the season, and until that punt return had been terrible in this game too. Gotta fix it. Gotta fix these little things. This is what the Ravens, they used to be perfect with these intangible things. And then the other stuff they'd figure out. You know, they'd figure out how cornerback six was going to have to guard the (laughs) other team's number one wide receiver. That was going to be the problem. Not the little stuff that you should be perfect with. They have to fix this stuff before we get to the playoffs. It's frustrating that off of a bye we still had uh, a lot of these mistakes. Speaking of mistakes, guys, Harbaugh coming off a bye. One of the most egregious mistakes that he has made in his head coaching career. Throwing a challenge flag after a touchdown. He has come out and said that he, oh boy, he did it intentionally to like stall and get a timeout so that they could rest and get their defense uh, sorted before the two-point conversion attempt. Why not? Why wouldn't he have just called timeout if that were the instance? Why did he have to take the challenge flag and throw it 80 yards into the middle of the field? He looked very confused afterwards. He looked frustrated and disappointed when the refs told him he couldn't actually challenge this. It's not good, guys. And another thing, just like the special teams, it's a it's a stack of things and mistakes that is happening for John Harbaugh this year. And it, I don't know. It's not looking good. I, I'm, I want to hear your guys' final thoughts uh, about this game before we wrap this up. Well, the, the the challenge thing is just inexcusable. And even his timeout, like, oh, it's just a timeout, so what's the matter? You can't take a timeout in that situation. If the other team scores to go up five, they are going to go for two. Your team needs to be prepared for that. It's it's the fourth quarter of a game you're now trailing. You cannot be taking a timeout in this scenario. You're going to need that timeout later. Of course, it ends up working out for them. So largely, it's water under the bridge, I guess. But... I don't know. That was just so bad. And from all, like all, all the justifications for it are wrong. It's like you shouldn't take a timeout anyway, and then doing it with a challenge, which is like a rule instituted what ten years ago. It wasn't like it's new this season. It's every play gets cha- every scoring play gets challenged, and it wasn't like close. Like Robinson caught it, took like three steps, came to the ground, ball never came out. It's like what are you even seeing that would prompt that? So it was. That was bizarre. Of course, it was on a Demarcus Robinson touchdown, too. So that, that kind of made the whole situation just a level funnier to me. Uh, but it, it wasn't just that. I thought the end of the half, too. Like, I, I was kind of, you know, chatting with my family. So I didn't kind of realize 
how bad this was in the moment, but like rewatching it today. So Rashad Bateman catches a ball to set up first and 10 at the Rams 18 yard line with one minute on the clock and the Ravens have two timeouts and they somehow run three plays and gain five yards in the next 48 seconds uh, before they take a timeout and fourth down and John Harbaugh takes a timeout into the half. It's just like, what's going on there? How's that happen? That was... I don't know. We've. I think I've said this on the show. It just seems like he's asleep at the wheel more than he has in the past uh, this season. And that that was just too the end of the half. Like not pushing the ball into the end zone at all. Really trying to score at all, and just kind of settling for a short field goal. And that that whole sequence was strange. And then the yeah, the challenge thing was just out of control. Uh, one thing. Um, this is sort of special teams related because it prompted a safety punt is because uh, Tyler Linderbaum had a, uh, a bad snap. We haven't seen that in a, quite a while. So, of course, it happened in the absolute uh, worst moment it could on, I believe, third down in a tie game. It's 20 to 20 at the time. And then suddenly you're losing uh, 22 to 20 uh, after, you know, you tie up the game. The only fun thing of that whole play was we got to see Lamar break out the left the left boot strike, uh, kind of an athletic play. Uh, you know, I don't know if he's left-footed, but it certainly looked like it, the, the way he calmly took that uh, kick. That was awful. Um, and then we texted about this one, but uh, Adafe or Justin Matabike getting a sack uh, that Adafe Owe created, but somehow didn't get the sack, oh was just God. perfect. It was hilarious. Owe does all the work, and yet somehow, in the end, doesn't bring down Matt Stafford. Matt Abike does instead for his 11th sack. It was kind of just like the perfect encapsulation of Adafe Owe's career, because you're like, how do you do all that good stuff, and then just like, just don't get the sack? It just didn't make sense. It seemed physically impossible for him to not get it. But, yeah, that was classic. Oh, I guess one other final thought I have. We mentioned him. I thought Aaron Donald was good in this game. He certainly made his presence felt. But officially, uh, they kept him to one pass deflection uh, in the box score. So I guess you could say the pass protection was okay. I don't know. Like we mentioned, it seemed like they were rushing only three or four a lot. And Aaron Donald was one of those guys and constantly kind of getting up in Lamar's face and forcing him to scramble and run. But all things considered, he wrecked the game less than he certainly could have. Yeah, I, the Harbaugh thing is getting to the point where, you know, we, we've been in this pattern with him where, you know, we, we have our concerns and the national media is, oh, he's one of the best coaches in the National Football League. And it's getting to, it's like, don't even think about it. Don't even think about it. He's good. He's elite. He's one of the best. And, you know, we have these long breakdowns, Jason and I specifically being the negative Nancys on this show of, yeah, 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 we know, we know, but da-da-da-da-da. I'm kind of getting to the point with him where there's just, there's just laughably bad stuff now where it's like, hey, someone, like, is Grandpa awake? Is Grandpa breathing or is, is he napping or is he dead? Like, which one is it sitting on the couch here sometimes with him? And I'm getting concerned that we're reaching a point where, you know, God willing, it's not too little too late, but where it's like, yeah, you know what? He's actually not, he's actually not all there at this point uh, in terms of a head coaching role. I think he's also uh, officially taken over the hashtag face from Eli Manning, 
hashtag Harbaugh face is a new thing that used to be hashtag Eli face where you just look dumbfounded on the sidelines. I think Harbaugh, Jason's sitting in our Zoom chat. I think uh, Harbaugh is kind of doing the same thing now. Just the blank of like, what, what's going on? And I should I be upset about this? Yeah, you should be. You're the head coach controlling these things. And um, yeah, I, I'm, I don't know. I hate being the doom and gloom guy all the time. I really do. I promise I love this team. It's just, there was too much in this game that really, really discouraged me. And, and I'm starting to worry that Harbaugh has moved from elite coach to no, 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 stop overthinking it. He's a really good coach to what's going on here, Johnny? Like I think we're kind of moving into that phase of the of the ticker before it gets to you know DefCon Five, and we have to say you know got to cut bait. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Let's look at the NFL now, because since we last recorded, uh, AFC contender Jacksonville Jaguars have lost not one, but two games. The Chiefs lost on Sunday. The Dolphins face the Titans Monday night as we record here, so we don't know that, but they will try to win that game against the Titans to match the Ravens' 10 wins, and nobody else in the AFC has more than eight wins. Boy, does it feel like Dolphins-Ravens in Week 17 uh, will be for the number one seed, even with some other things, you know, uh, in the air still. In the AFC North, however, suddenly uh, everybody's a contender, again, except (laughs) except for the Steelers. Uh, The Bengals look like a wild-card contender. Uh, Joe Flacco, the Cleveland Joe Flaccos look like they may win 12 games if they're able to win out with him. Uh... It's frustrating in the AFC North. I think these teams are too far away. I think these teams are too far away from the Ravens to have a legitimate shot of threatening for the AFC North. The Browns would essentially have to win out, uh, and the Ravens would have to lose, what is it, three of at least three of four. But I think if they go 500, because I've been, I've been tearing into the playoff machine, the ESPN playoff uh, machine, the calculator, uh, that's a that's a great waste of you know two and a half hours if you want to do that uh, Sunday evenings or or Monday afternoons. Um, I think there is a scenario actually where if the Browns and the Ravens have the same schedule, the Browns would actually I'm sorry the same record, the Browns would actually win the AFC North, which oh seems God, insane. Please don't. Um, <laughs> but it's getting to the point again where three to AFC North teams may go to the postseason. It certainly seems like the Steelers are trending down while the Bengals are trending up with whatever this Jake Browning uh, phenomenon is. But overall, the Ravens certainly benefiting uh, this weekend and kind of control things now where if they can take care of business, they don't even need this 49ers game that I think the three of us and the entire city of Baltimore has just sort of said, you know what, don't even go. Just have Huntley play, have some fun. We can enjoy our our Christmas uh, a little bit better that way for those who celebrate. Um, but it is looking like it's going to be that Dolphins game that, that is going to be major. Uh, what did you guys see, uh, or what what do you want to talk about specifically that you saw uh, in the NFL uh, over this weekend? Well, 
the AFC North, I, I feel like I come on the show every Monday, Antonio, and just sort of proclaim a new front runner of the other three teams. <laughs> I, and I do think it clearly is the Browns now, but I did not see this Bengals resurgence coming post-Burrow. It seemed like they were dead in the water. And then, yeah, they beat, they kind of stunned the Jags, and then they take it to the Colts on Sunday. Uh, and, yeah, the Steelers have gone from the team, I think two weeks ago I said, is like the playoff uh, wild card favorite of the group to, I think, clearly the worst team in the AFC after they lose to the Cards and just an awful game, they lose to the Patriots on Thursday night. Um, you know, you truly hate to see it, losing back-to-back games to two win teams at home for the Steelers. It hurts. It hurts my heart. Just kidding. Um, but the Flacco thing, it's so weird, and we talked about this a little last week, but, like, I didn't think he'd be as good as he's been, certainly, to this point. And... Uh, I still think the other shoe can always drop with him. He can unleash a four-pick game uh, next week, and I won't be surprised. But uh, it's weird. I'm not rooting for him, ultimately, because I don't want the Browns to succeed, obviously. Uh, but it is... I've kind of at least enjoyed like him reminding people that he was a good quarterback and like it seems to be better than about 90% of the backups we see taking snaps this NFL season he's he's been legitimately solid for them and it, it's just kind of kind of crazy to just kind of pluck him off the street and just like in even like basically better numbers than Watson's had I know it's a small sample size of two games but like he's been like easily the Browns best passer this season uh even if he has you know he had what two turnovers two classic a strip sack and a just awful pick on Sunday so he still does Flacco things but I don't know. I've been happy for him in some ways while trying to distance myself from rooting for him. He certainly did us a solid on Sunday, I think, uh, you know, kind of, I think, knocking the Jaguars effectively from the race for that number one seed. So I think you're right, Antonio. I think on Sunday I was rooting for him just because I think we're, even though we can still blow it, I guess, uh, mathematically, I think the Ravens are in a good enough seat that uh, it was better for the Browns to win on Sunday and kind of knock the Jags out of that race for the one and kind of effectively with the Chiefs also losing, kind of just giving, you know, as you said, it's a, I think it's a 1v1 with the Dolphins for that number one seed in the AFC. And that's, you know, two less contenders for that space than we talked about just one week ago. So that, that was, I think, for me, the biggest development was just in the, the rest of the NFL was just the the one seed kind of coming down to us versus the Dolphins. It seems like certainly weird things could happen. We could lose three straight, but that ultimately at the end of the day, I think it's the biggest you know development of this week. Is anyone listening? We're still playing the Dolphins, the Niners, and the Jaguars, and then the Steelers at the, at the end of the week. I, the fact... Uh, we can win some of those games. Can we? <laughs> Maybe, maybe the Jacksonville game. We're not beating the Niners, and God knows if the Dolphins are rolling. We're not beating that team either. Dolphins frauds. I feel like... Let let me know when they beat a team with a winning record. Still hasn't happened. I'll let you know. Week 17 against the Ravens. (laughs) That's when. Um, I I don't know. On the one seed thing, um, first of all, let's go AFC North first. Uh, Yeah, yeah. hooray for Flacco. I'm glad that... I'm even in even in Cleveland. As much as I despise that team and that city and that fan base and just the general ethos of everything in Ohio, um, the fact that he's ending on this note rather than what happened in Denver and the Jets, I think, is overall good for his. You know how people will remember him, and 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 honestly, you know, legitimately, I think that's that I'm I'm happy about that. Um, in, in terms of this nightmare scenario where the Ravens can give away the AFC North to the Browns. 
the Browns still have Bears at Texans, Jets, and at Bengals to end the year. So it ain't it ain't easy, but it also ain't hard. So we'll have to see uh, what happens there. Um, other little developments here. Before we get to the, the other thing in the AFC I want to talk about, um, Cowboys, 33-13 over the Eagles. I think the Cowboys are really good. I think they're really good. I think it's hard to look past the how memeable the Cowboys can be at some times, including Mike McCarthy. Uh, you know, I, I heard on a different podcast, so this is not an original thought, but I thought it was interesting. Everything that we make fun of the Cowboys for, down to the kicker, they excel at now. <laughs> Dak Prescott in big moments excels. The the kicker literally hasn't missed a kick all season long. Mike McCarthy calling good plays. They have, you know, dominant elite level stars on both sides of the football the eagles i wouldn't worry if i'm an eagles fan i think this is just the kind of stuck in the mud type of area that we saw that this team wasn't a 10 and 1 team you know based on the way they played early in the season and against some of these opponents that probably should have beaten them they've lost two straight games that they should have lost and now everybody's panicking i don't think it's time to panic for the eagles they're in a they're in a tough stretch of games and i think they're going to be competitive in the playoff picture but it might not be as the one seed now, and it might even be as the five, which, God, can you imagine being the four seed? Uh, that's the NFC South. Never mind. In the next round, <laughs> facing the Eagles as the five seed and being like, what did we do to deserve the Eagles as a five seed? Uh, you know, the NFC's just got the better teams. At the elite level, at the top level, the NFC just has the better teams um, in, that, in um, the playoff race here. I would talk about Bears-Lions, but who cares? This is a Ravens podcast. Let's talk about the, the Kansas City Chiefs. Um... Tell me you're a privileged franchise, spoiled, rotten franchise, without telling me you're a privileged, spoiled, rotten franchise. Oh, that's right. Complaining about a penalty that is a f- absolute penalty. You can debate the legitimacy of let the guys play. You can debate that refs are too involved. And trust me, I have on the other side of this argument many times over the years here on Pod Like a Raven. But for the New England, or the New England, Jesus, they're just like the talk. <laughs> Wall boy. For, the, for the Kansas City Chiefs. To, He's been hurt too many times. To come out and act like they are this aggrieved franchise that is constantly on the wrong side of things because one of their players, one of the most notable boneheaded players in the National Football League, the player who infamously, his first day of practice as a professional, forgot his cleats. Onto the practice field, Kadarius Tony with the New York Giants. Look it up. It's a real thing. Literally forgot his cleats walking onto the field. The fact that he lines up offsides and and you are just... I, I cannot believe that they actually called that when we had a really cool sandlot play that won the, won the game. And it's just ridiculous. And I'm going to go handshake Josh Allen and complain the whole time. And he, and, and, it is absurd to me that people are trying to defend the chief's actions on this after they did something wrong. They got penalized for it, but that really cool thing we did should have counted. No, it shouldn't have because it started off with an illegal play or illegal lineup formation, whatever you want to call it from one of your players. And this team, this franchise who has gotten away with more, stuff over the past couple of years and look they're in the big moments the big calls happen in the big moments so there's more of a sample size for them i understand they won a super bowl on a eh, they probably could have let that play go 
James Bradbury pass interference to not only complain about the offside on Kadarius Tony, but to bitch and moan and whine to the degree that they did in the press conferences. Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen's kind of coming over to him post game, say, "Hey, man, really well fought game, very nice job." And Mahomes is like whining to the opposing quarterback during that moment was a horrendous look for a team that is absolutely going to use this as fuel and probably end up winning the Super Bowl. <laughs> it is. I just wrote insane over and over again. It's in insane. My notes. Picking the least subjective call to be the hill to die on is insane. <laughs> Mahomes complaining about Travis Kelsey's legacy <laughs> because he doesn't get this play on his resume is insane. Two plus two is four. You can't just be like, oh, guys, mathematicians ruin everything. <laughs> it just is. The call is made as soon as it is seen. He throws the flag immediately. <laughs> I see you, and I think they even showed up on the sc- on the TV screen immediately. It's like, oh, this must be like a formation penalty or something. Like, just it's called. That's it. I I cannot believe. The entire organization is doing this, not just once, not just in the heat of the moment, but even afterwards in the press conferences and stuff. It's so bad, and it just proves, it just proves that the the evil of a lot of success is undefeated. They've won too many things, they're, they're too good for too long, they can't help but flip out when something goes against them that they think shouldn't have happened. We're going to end up hating them. This is a small step. I am shocked that Mahomes, who I have l- liked, seems chill, seems like... Lo- Watch the Netflix documentary about him. Seemed like a good guy. Seemed like he, he, he good head. I mean, he got a good head on his shoulders. This was bad in the moment. It was bad from him after. It's impossible to refute as a penalty. And they're still doing it. They're standing on it over and over and over again, saying, what was... um." read stuff is like the nfl needs to like change this or they need to like this is like a bad look for the nfl like what are you talking about what are you talking about yeah andy Reid called it quote embarrassing that the embarrassing for the national football league that like his player didn't get warned that he was off sides which again is just you look and you just see where your foot is <laughs> and you take a step back. And, like, you see this every down, basically. Like, if you l- watch, like, usually it's the outside receivers. They just turn. They, like, give, like, a thumbs up to the ref half the time. And the ref's like, you're good. And they just turn back and look at the ball. Like, Tony never did that. He just is staring right at the ball the whole time. And it's clearly offside. Now he was playing more inside. But, you know, they the refs aren't required to tell you you're offsides, and that's what they said after the game. The uh, Carl Sheffers, who was the crew chief for this game, and uh, is a bad referee, by the way, bad he, referee. He, a, yeah. he does stink. I I hate games he's on, but uh, he did say this, which kind of made me chuckle. He said, "Certainly, no warning is required, especially if the player or if if they are lined up so far offsides where they're actually blocking our view of the ball." Boom, got him. <laughs> so that's pretty definitive. Uh, you know, it's not too often a ref can kind of dunk on a guy, but I, I, it, it's all the cheese. And yeah, for for Reed to call 
all that embarrassing and they were still talking about it today and and Mahomes like what's like what does Patrick Mahomes want Josh Allen to say about that like he's like no, I agree, man. Like Josh, Al- Josh Allen is going to make a D's nuts joke at him and move on and like just be the fun-loving guy that he is. He's like, oh, that was crazy. I was pressing all the buttons. D's nuts and walk away. Like, what? I, I've, lost, I've lost a little bit of respect for Patrick Mahomes. Not yeah, that that yeah. matters at all to him or anybody else. It doesn't matter that I've lost a little bit of respect for Patrick Mahomes. But come on, man. Like, it was petulant from yeah. him. It was yeah, it's petulant, thr- it was childish, and it was embarrassing, the, the way that he acted. Lit- stomping his feet on the ground because he didn't get a chocolate chip cookie before dinner. Like, what Like what? What are we doing, was was my line the entire time. It was, like, so out of left field, too. And, like, it, like he threw, like, such a hissy fit. Like, my, my dad and I literally weren't sure who, who he was even yelling at at the end of the game when he's, like, <laughs> ripping his helmet off. We were like, who is he mad at? Like, we were like, what's he mad at? <laughs> like, we couldn't even figure it out. It wasn't until I, like, took to Twitter later and read all, like, the post-game stuff. And I, I, I did – I heard, like, the, the Allen exchange and stuff. And I was like, he's mad about that? That's what they're mad about? Like, there's nothing to be mad about. Your guy lined up offside. And so, yeah, it just – it's throwing a fit because – you didn't get your way and you lost and you're eight and five and now you might actually have to dear god go on the road and play a single playoff game on the road for the first time in your career oh, no. six years in but yeah can they still win the super bowl probably but i don't know it was it was weird it was bad luck i agree with you and uh very strange very strange thing to just tee off on and continue to tee off on when it's like hey man at the end of the day you scored 17 points at home like that's why you lost <laughs> A few other games I'm going to touch on briefly here before we go back to the Ravens. Um, Jets, Texans. I don't know. I don't really know. I don't know what happened. Uh, That was 0-0 at halftime. And then the Jets and Zach Wilson scored 30 points and blew out the Texans. Vikings, Raiders. I really don't know. That game was 0-0 after... Or sorry, Vikings, Raiders. That game was 0-0 after... 55 minutes i think and it ended three to nothing i think just two irrelevant teams i don't know you know one side of the coin is boy those defenses were strong but i don't think that's what this game was um so vikings technically still in contention for a playoff spot i think any team in the nfc is kind of licking their lips to face them uh, in in the first round and that's about it. Anything else from from the NFL? There were some other games as well, but I think we should turn to uh, you know to, to our our team here. But um, all right, yeah, let's just get to it. Ravens traveling to the Jags. <clears throat> oh, <clears throat> it's Sunday night football on the road against a playoff contender, and the Ravens are favored by more than a field goal. You gotta love it. Ravens current line minus three and a half. Let's start. This week with the Ravens defense against the Jags offense, that is what we have kind of maligned the most from the this past game against the Rams. Lawrence for the Jags sprained his ankle badly, it looked, uh, against the Bengals on a short week, came back and seemed fine. I mean, the play was suspect. He threw three interceptions, but he was running around. He was stepping into throws. I don't know how, but he seems 100% healthy. The leading receiver for the Jags, Christian Kirk, is out. He got injured in the Bengals game, and I'm fairly certain he's out for the season. He certainly was placed on IR. So the Jags attacking with Calvin Ridley, Zay Jones, and the tight end, Evan Ingram. How do you guys see 
this Ravens defense trying to rebound uh, against the Jags, who we have seen, we are familiar with them from last season. A lot of the same pieces here, at least on the Jags side of the ball. How do the Ravens defense, uh, how do they attack the Jaguars this week? So I think the first thing we kind of just have to see about is the health of Kyle Hamilton. I don't believe Mm -hmm. we've brought him up to this point, but he injures his knee at some point. Well, he goes out, he comes back in, then he leaves again on Sunday. And they haven't officially, I haven't seen, I don't know if it's trickled out there what it actually is. I saw some whispers of an MCL sprain of some type, but it's some sort of knee injury. Uh, but Harbaugh said he has a chance to play Sunday. But here's our pod like a tra- uh, pod like a Raven translation of that. Kyle Hamilton will not play in this game Sunday. So that's not good because, you know, Tim, you've talked about him a lot. Uh, Kyle Hamilton's, I think, our best defensive player, best non-Roquan Smith defensive player. He certainly, you know, I don't know that we can entirely say that he goes out in the back half of this game and that's suddenly when the Rams <laughs> get their act together again. Uh, and go on those two scoring drives. So I think if he's able to play, that would be huge. Um, It might solve some of their issues. Certainly the run defense is a problem. You know, Kyron Williams goes for 114. Travis Etienne is a better player than Kyron Williams. So that that concerns me, certainly. Uh, Lawrence lit them up last year. He went 29 for 37 in that game, 321, three touchdowns. His health certainly one to monitor, but like you said, he seemed okay despite his turnovers. Like he didn't seem to have physical limitations really. He took a few hits low and didn't seem he didn't go out or seem worse for wear. So I don't know. I think they'll have their hands full. The Jags kind of weird coming off two straight losses, um, as we've kind of said that we didn't see coming from them to our division mates. So playing yet another AFC North team for the Jags, but. I don't know, Duvall on a Sunday night. I feel like Duvall has not treated the Ravens well. I remember when we were in college, we lost a horrendous game in Jacksonville on a Monday night. I was at a classic 12 to 10 score. I don't see that happening, but um, yeah, I have my concerns for sure. I think this Jacksonville team, if the Ravens play like they have been playing, they certainly can put some points up. Yeah, I think, I don't know, who knows about the health of Trevor Lawrence as well. Like, it looked like it looked like he had been shot in the leg two weeks ago, and then he ends up playing. Um, so It was like scrambling around. How does that happen six days later? Tordal is probably the answer, but who really knows? Um, but, you know, let, let, let's, let's try and just call it as we see it. He's definitely not 100%, even if he was kind of moving around, moving and shaking a little bit. I think you start with the, the running game here. I, I don't think anybody on the outside scares you for the Calvin Ridley like, a little bit. Christian Kirk is out after, um, let's just put it lightly, a groin injury uh, that he's out for the year. Um, Christian Kirk is. And I think you stop the mobile ability, albeit limited now maybe, of, Tra- of Trevor Lawrence, and you stop Travis Etienne and make Lawrence beat you by standing in the pocket, facing pressure, and trying to get it out to – Calvin Ridley and Evan Ingram like good weapons but not elite elite level like the talent that we have on this defensive side of the ball this should be a get right game because you're gonna need it for the next two opponents coming up after that this is where you kind of need to reset against a good offense but not a great offense in my opinion and it all starts with containing that running game with Travis Etienne Um, and yeah I think that's your main focus and then you let the guys in the back end do what the guys in the back end do. But as Jay said, you know, Kyle Hamilton being day-to-day might be mean his career is over in hardball speak. So who who the hell knows? 
I think him playing would be huge for containing the likes of an Etienne, who was very good out of the backfield as well. You know, that kind of the sort of queen on the chessboard on the offensive side of the football matched up with our queen on the chessboard type of player in Hamilton, I think would be a huge, huge addition for the Ravens, but we have to see if he can be able to give it a go here. But yeah, um, this is a good chance to reset here. Let's see if they take advantage. I'm in a weird mindset where it's like, if Hamilton is 75%, I want him to sit this game and then i also want him to sit the 49ers game just like every other raven uh just take the full two weeks get healthy if we see you again we'll see you again but uh you know let's let's have him healthy for the dolphins game i don't know i i would assume yeah we're we know the harbaugh speak for for sure it it feels like he would not be playing um and i kind of like i would be so afraid of him toughing it out and then re-aggravating it, and then this it's this injury that just kind of lingers throughout the end of the regular season. Offensively, for the Ravens, maybe some opportunities here. Um, the Ravens, obviously, against the Rams, came off the bye, looked a little rusty, couldn't establish the run, still scored 31. Can they come in here now with rhythm coming off of just a regular week process back into this, the flow of things? And score more than 31 and, and have actual uh, competent offense for 60 minutes here. What do you guys see from the Ravens offensively? It's possible. I, I think the thing that concerns me is um, looking up the stats. So the Jags are 31st against the pass, but fourth against the run, which I think could end up, if they stifle them off out of the shoot, could lead to kind of a pass happy day, Tim, that like. Yeah from Todd Munkin that we kind of, you were kind of complaining about a little bit. And uh, I agree with you. That would be nice to see the run. I guess the other only only other thing I should say in terms of the regular practice week, we didn't touch on is I hope uh, knocking on wood that we got our Lamar sickness out of the way on just a, just a little 24 hour. Uh, He was, he did miss a day of practice this week, which uh, this past week, which prompted a, another round of Lamar's sick again in the late season, as happens is yearly tradition. So hopefully he's he's good to go and a hundred percent, and uh, you know doesn't get a cold from playing in the rain and all that on Sunday. So yeah, I think they certainly could be more in rhythm. Uh, try to, trying to, especially with the receivers, because it did feel like between Flowers and Beckham, we've said keeps getting better. Um, I don't want them to go too much through the too pass happy, but uh, at least if like Lamar is hitting that, if he's more accurate and consistent than he was on Sunday, that'd be a plus. I did look it up last year. I didn't actually get to watch that game live, but and he had a few spectacular plays. But basically, it was fifty percent passing. I do think it's kind of hard to compare our offense from years past, just because the the Greg Roman effect and Demarcus Robinson being wide receiver one, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. If they can stifle him and make him inefficient again, that could also be like a source of problems for us. Especially if he's trying to hold on to the ball too long because let me present Josh Allen, 13 and a half sacks in 13 games played coming off the edge. And coming off the other edge is the former number one overall pick, Trayvon Walker, who has five sacks to his own uh, in 13 games. Tackle's got to do a good job protecting Lamar. Lamar's got to be able to get the ball out and get away from those two guys on the edge. Not a ton of other people scare me on that defensive front. You know, nobody else has more than two and a half sacks. 
um, on that team. And uh, no, I will not look up pressures because that's not a real stat. No, it definitely is. I'm just kidding. Um, and then and then in the defensive backfield, um, Darius Williams is really the only other guy you got to watch out for. The former L.A. Rams corner. He has 19 pass deflections and four interceptions this year. So you have to see kind of who he's taking out on one side of the football, or if he he. I don't. I'm not. I will be completely honest. Not a. Um, a uh, film junkie with the Jacksonville Jaguars, not a film junkie for pretty much anything. So if he's one of the guys that kind of lines up left side, right side, or if he shadows somebody, maybe getting the ball away from him and using your other weapons. This is why you have your other weapons. Maybe another big game out of Isaiah likely. I know he had the big, you know, obviously the big blown coverage touchdown catch, but other than that, had some other big catches in that game as well. Did had a really, really nice game filling in for Mark Andrews. Let's see if we can see that continue against the linebacking core led by Devin Lloyd who kind of hasn't really impressed as a first-round pick uh, just a year ago for for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So, yeah, I think let's see if they can get into a rhythm. I would like them to I would like to see them establish the run, but as Jace just mentioned there, it might be a little bit more difficult. Um, I, if this game is like 13 to 10 and we're going into halftime and it's, you know, 10:45 at night and I'm like, "Oh my god, I have to be up in like six hours this is miserable i would like to see them maybe try and burn some clock run the ball and really kind of notes to the grindstone a little bit against this jaguars team but who knows not super confident in that uh based on what happened uh, this past week all right as for the intangibles special teams just eliminate the mistakes john harbaugh when uh, one of the teams scores you keep that challenge flag right in your pocket don't don't you worry they're they're looking at it in the booth for you, uh, and if you need a, if you need some time, you can just take a regular timeout. Just give a little, little to, uh, and they'll give you 30, 30 seconds uh, to to figure things out. I don't have much to say on the intangible side, so I'm gonna turn right to the picks. Then I just want to take a moment here. Uh, I had a week from I had a week from hell last week. <laughs> I will admit, um, and it's I and I knew it was coming because I made the Jaguars pick last week and we hadn't seen them play on Monday night and then Lawrence got hurt in the game I knew that was going to wreck everything so great I ended up losing the last leg of my teaser from last week when the Jags couldn't cover minus one and a half at home against the Bengals and then I went 0-3 this week I didn't get the Ravens pick because I will never get that pick right it seems this year and then I picked the Texans who got blown out uh or no, did I? I certainly took the I took the Lions, who got blown out. Oh, and then I took the Jags. I took the Jags a second time with the banged up Lawrence, and and that didn't work either. So, a tough week for me. Uh, I, I was getting close to 500, and now we're back. We're back having to having to make some ground here. 18 and 24 on the season, and I'm gonna have to make another Ravens pick. Uh, and guess what? I'm taking the Ravens minus three and a half. I had the Jags as over 10 wins to start the year. And because of that, I have watched them more than I probably would have otherwise. And if you guys think the Ravens are an inconsistent football team, (laughs) watch multiple games of the Jacksonville Jaguars. They make no sense. They have talent at some positions. They have disasters elsewhere. Their coaching can be spotty here and there. They don't have home field advantage. They lost two weeks ago at home to the backup quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals. They lost to Joe Flacco. I think they lose to the Ravens. I'm not concerned that this game is on the road because I haven't, I've seen the Jags not have an impact as a home crowd in Jacksonville. That half point, of course, is terrifying. 
but I think the Ravens actually end up pulling this game out by, you know, seven to ten points. That's kind of where I'm I'm putting this game. Uh, I think their offense is too much. I, I think they get enough pressure uh, on Lawrence and do just enough defensively. So I'm taking the Ravens minus three and a half. My other picks, I'm taking the Green Bay Packers minus three and a half as well. Another terrifying number <laughs> at home against the Tampa Bay Bucks. The NFC South is trash, and the Bucks <laughs> are ahead of it. They they are atop it with a six and seven record. Three of their six wins this year have come against the NFC South. One of their other wins is against the Carolina Panthers that they had to fight tooth and nail to win 21 to 18 at home. They're not a good football team. They're going to go into Lambeau, into the freezing cold. I do not think Baker Mayfield is going to find success there. So I'm taking Green Bay minus three and a half at home. And then a tease. Three teams, six points. I, I like it. I got to say, I'm into this tease, especially the first two legs. I'm moving the Chiefs line from 10 down to 4 at the New England Patriots. If the Chiefs do not beat the Pats by more than four points, I don't know who they're going to blame. I don't know what's going to They might file a petition to not have the postseason played in the NFL this season. The Rams, I'm moving them down to minus half a point at home against the Commanders. The Rams, when healthy, have been good. With Stafford, they've been pretty good they have all those things they're at home against a bad commander's team that seems like they've checked out and that's even basically 0.5 i like that and then denver uh i have not been a fan of denver for a very long period of time but guess what they have not been blown out basically since that dolphins game which is now what like months and months ago they've been a good competitive team for months and i'm moving that from plus four to plus ten at the Detroit Lions. Legitimate chance they win this game straight up. I'm getting 10 points to play with. There's some late cover potential. There's some just, it's going to be a close game. Detroit, they've looked shaky now for a month, basically. So getting, you know, a 10-point cushion there, uh, I'm very into. So Chiefs, minus four. Rams, minus half a point, And Denver, plus 10, a three-team tease. So let me jump in here because these have changed, actually, because some of these are involved in my tease as well. You are going to get the Broncos plus 10.5 now. It is currently oh, sitting at plus 4.5. And, and as well with the Chiefs, you'll get Chiefs at minus 3.5 rather than minus 4. That has moved down to minus Nine and a half there. I'll just go here because I might have to duck out early here and uh, make make some, <laughs> yeah, make some phone to, calls. Might, have, some to, phone might calls. have to make those now. Um, I'll just go quickly. Um, last week, two and one, steady as they go. Uh, one Rams and Broncos lost the Eagles, uh, twenty three and fifteen on the year. Gentlemen, I have a question for you. Do I have to absolutely make three picks? And I will say this because I have a Ravens pick. Obviously, I have the t I have a teaser as well, and I don't like anything else. I really don't. I will make one if the sanctity of this picks. I, I need to make one. I have one in my um, in my sights right now that I think I would would make. But if 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 we, if we decide I only need two picks, especially because one of them is a teaser, I would take that as well. Antonio, I have just checked with NFL rules analyst Patrick Mahomes, and he says <laughs> oh, that okay. we have to make a Ravens pick, but there's no other rule about how few or how many after that. Uh, that doesn't thanks Pat doesn't take back anything I said about Patrick Mahomes earlier. In this podcast. <laughs> um, I will just say this, so it's on the record, um, but I am not going to make this in my picks. I kind of want to hold my nose and take Bears plus three on the road at Cleveland. I think the Bears might beat them. The Bears are kind of okay, and um, 
maybe Joe Flacco falls to earth and throws some bad picks. I don't know. Not not in my picks here. Um, if you know me, you know where I'm going with the Ravens pick. It's it's over <laughs> three. I'm taking the other team. Jags plus three and a half. Uh, the Ravens win by three, and I take that half point all the way to the bank. And then I also have a three-team tease. M, like Antonio, I am taking the Rams minus a half a point at home to the Commanders, and I am taking the Chiefs minus three and a half away to the New England Patriots. Um, if the Chiefs use this as actual fuel and like they should, they are going to smoke New England, who, by the way, are pissed that they beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in on Thursday night. They should not have won that game. They ended up winning that game, and that's might have ruined their chance to get the top pick. God, knowing the New England Patriots, they'll get the second pick and still pick the quarterback who's better, which will be, you know, just otherworldly annoying but that, there it is there so new england they screwed up winning versus pittsburgh they won't that won't happen again the chiefs are going to blow them out and the third leg of this is the dolphins minus six and a half at home to the jets um they they killed the jets on black friday zach wilson was the spark uh coming back after not wanting to play uh for the jets he comes back in a weird game against the texans they fall back down to earth the spark only lasts for one game and the Dolphins, we haven't seen them yet on Monday Night Football as we record, um, but I think either way it works for me. They either look really, really good against the Titans and continue to roll against the Jets, or they lose against the Titans somehow and respond by absolutely hammering the New York Jets the following week. So just my teaser here is Dolphins minus 6.5, Chiefs minus 3.5, and, and the Rams minus a half a point. All favorites, a little bit scary, but that's what I'm taking for the tease. So I also went two and one last week. I got the Rams pick. I went with the Rams last week and I took the Niners against Seahawks, lost the Chiefs. But uh, this week I am actually jumping back on the Ravens side with you, Antonio. I am taking Ravens minus three and a half. What you a sure, lot, Jace. Are you, are you sure? Let me just let me just add that caveat because I, ugh, I've been well, cold. Cold. Um, I think so. And the reason I think, well, I, my dumb guy brand. I would have loved the Jags to not be on a two-game losing streak coming into this. Uh, it's kind of you don't want to use the term must-win for them, but it kind of is. They kind of lucked. They lucked out on uh, Sunday in that uh, both the Texans and Colts lost to fall to seven and six, so they didn't gain ground on them in the division. But um, the Jags' backs are against the wall a little bit, so that has me a little concerned. But I do think they are just a better team. We just saw obviously the Browns, who I think are. Worse than us, certainly, uh, beat the Jags in Cleveland. Um, I like to think after a week to shake off the rust, they'll be kind of up and running and, and able to take care of business. So I am running, uh, riding with the Ravens three and a half this week. Uh, I'm also taking another road favorite who's favored by three and a half in the Philadelphia Eagles, who are currently three and a half point favorites at the Seahawks. I think, certainly I don't think the Eagles have been impressive, but I do think uh, the Seahawks are very much going in the wrong direction. And Geno Smith still might be hurt, right? He's missed at least Sunday. I don't know if we get a Drew Locke experience on this game. This game did get flexed to Monday Night Football, but I, I think for, you know, I haven't listened to a ton of the national podcasts, but I'm sure there's a lot been a lot of hand-wringing about the Eagles and, and the Cowboys being better uh, than them. And I think that's true, but I still think the Eagles are a really good team. So I think they kind of go on the road and take care of business against Seahawks next Monday. Uh, and then I'm picking just a huge spread but i'm picking a team that's going to take care of business it's the san francisco 49ers minus 13 and a half i feel like they've covered almost every huge spread they've had this year i think they're the best team in the nfl and i just think the cardinals you know they beat the steelers they have 10 days rest they're not going to be competitive against the Niners. And it's going to be like half San Francisco fans in Arizona. So uh i'd be you know absolutely stunned if the Niners 
even get challenged in this game, so I feel very comfortable. But I will toss out an alternate, uh, the kind of the inverse principle of the Eagles. Uh, Dallas Cowboys are underdogs this season, so a bonus if you want. Uh, it, that line just moved, I just saw. So it's up to two and a half. Cowboys are two and a half point underdogs in Buffalo uh, on Sunday. And so, you know, I think that win over the Chiefs was impressive, but I think the Cowboys handling a better team than the Chiefs this season in the Eagles was even more impressive. So, you know, that might be an opportunity for some value there uh, if, if Dak and company keep it rolling up in Buffalo. But uh, yeah, officially the picks, Ravens, Eagles, Niners. Uh, and, uh, yeah, hopefully for our sake, the Ravens, uh, pick up another win. <laughs> yeah. One thing that I think might even be lost in, in this episode, our Baltimore Ravens are 10 and three. They have 10 wins out of 13 games. Currently, as we record the number one seat in the AFC long, may it continue. Try to take care of business, uh, in Jacksonville this week for Tim Horson and Jay Sevens. I am Antonio Barbera. Thank you so much for listening to us on Pod Like a Raven. We will see you next week. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.